0: Thanks to Cabbage for supporting Industry Focus. Get the money you need to run your small business at Cabbage.com and use the code FULL to get $100 credit on your first loan statement. Offer ends November the 30th. Must take a $5,000 loan to qualify. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. Today is Wednesday, October the thirtieth, and we're talking healthcare. Todd Campbell, healthcare guru, joining us via Skype. Todd, how's it going on this day before Halloween?
1: Oh, it's ghoulishly great, ghoulishly great. Shannon, how are you?
0: I am doing well. Um, I know that you in the Campbell household go all out for Halloween, so we must we know. Do. We must know what is happening in 2019 for you all.
1: <laughs> well, you know the funny thing is, that, you know that I set the stage, to the stakes really high last year. So this year, did. I did something just really, really bizarre, and most of our listeners <laughs> would have to. But it was kind of like a like a, a, a mailbox. Uh, in a in a delivery. Per- my mailman came to our Halloween party. So he, he came as the mailman. I was a mailbox. So he would up walking around <laughs> giving me beverages inside my... Uh...
0: <laughs> wow, Todd, you always outdo yourself. I must say, I'm always just so impressed by the creativity I see on that. But I'm excited for today's show because... Well, we're going to take this Halloween theme on through. Uh, We've got this special Halloween edition of Industry Focus Healthcare. First off, we've got a drug that's been resurrected from the dead, if you will. And we've also got one of the largest pharmacy retail chains that's basically attempting to put the nails in the coffin into one of its key strategies. But first, Todd, let's dive into biotech world. Just like a zombie. (laughs) Biotech Behemoth Biogen, that's ticker symbol B I I B, is now resurrecting a program back from the grave. That's right. Adjukenumab, their high risk, high reward Alzheimer's drug has been miraculously raised to new life, Todd. And with some Frankenstein -S (laughs) S data, Biogen is saying, well, this drug is still alive and it may actually work in some patients and with a particular dose. We did see Biogen stock basically come back to life, jolting up almost 40% on the news. Todd, what a stunner across the biotech world. Even more so a stunner for patients, especially those that were enrolled in these trials. Now, all of a sudden, lots of question marks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and this was, you're right, this was buried for dead. This was left for dead. I mean, this was, this, um... okay, so what we're talking about is Biogen's at I can't pronounce the adju can you med we'll call it adu maybe <laughs> and it's an Alzheimer's disease drug and it's just truly a massive and, and completely frustrating uh, market and target for drug developers and and people and families who are trying to to care and hope hope for a, our new treatment options it's just it's a devastating disease and I think it, one of the things that would be really helpful to our listeners is just to kind of put some numbers behind this so we just understand just how big of a deal Alzheimer's is, and why it's just so frustrating, and why um, you know developments, both good and bad, can move stocks that are as big as Biogen, a huge, uh, huge biotech company with a 50 billion plus market cap, you know 30 percent down and then 30 percent up again in a single day. Alzheimer's affects millions of people. You know, I think you've got between five and seven million people in the, in America with Alzheimer's disease and that's expected to more than double. I mean you could have 14 million people by 2050 because of aging and longer living baby boomers and because there is no cure for it and it's a degenerative disease so you know slowly but surely eats away at the ability for independent living. You have family members and other caregivers, you know doting over donating over 18 billion uh, hours per year to caring for uh, loved ones who have Alzheimer's disease. I mean, if you just paid them $12 an hour, Shannon, that would be over $200 billion a year um, that Alzheimer's is zapping out of the economy, if you will. And then if you look at just direct costs, you know, things like you know, uh, a long-term care and hospice and and the the drugs that are available that they can use, you're know, talking about another $200 billion spent every year. And despite all of that money and the fact that it's affects so many people, um, there's been very little progress in you know, developing new drugs. And there was, you know, a lot of excitement and hope that Biogen would be able to change that with ADU. And unfortunately, uh, in March, they reported that, geez, you know what? this drug is going to come up shy at an interim review uh, of, of meeting the mark. And, you know, that sense shares absolutely sliding. And then now we find out that, um, once more data was collected, that maybe there is some benefit to this drug after all.
0: Quite an interesting story. Such an interesting story to watch. And I mean, Todd, it's not just Biogen, as you alluded to that, that has gone to what's been affectionately called the phase three graveyard for Alzheimer's drug. You're talking about Eli Lilly, you're talking about Merck. In March, they did decide, you know, based on an independent data monitoring board, by the way, that they would halt studies because they weren't seeing the efficacy. But now, basically, on, from a high level, new data is showing. Um, they were able to go back and look and for patients who were exposed to higher doses for an extended period of time, did seem, and I use that term loosely, <laughs> to significantly mm. slow down cognitive decline and reduce some of the plaque buildup that's thought to to cause um, Alzheimer's. And so, one key point here is, of course, Biogen was looking at patients with milder forms of the disease and really going at it from the angle, not so much of reversing, but more at the angle of prevention. And Todd. You know, we've talked about it on the show before, neither one of us are big fans of going back and data mining to try to find subsets of patients. In some cases, it's worked, but that's usually the exception rather than what we typically see in terms of good quality data that we can fully put our confidence and trust behind.
1: Yeah, and the FDA usually isn't overly uh, receptive to kind of these um, retrospective lookbacks. But this might be a slightly different scenario because you know, they based the futility study on a cutoff date of the end of December. And, you know, there were, granted, it was still in a lot of people, but the people that I think was like maybe 2000 had basically reached the mark at the point where they did the futility study. Um, But a lot of those people had been dosed at the lower doses of this drug. And sure enough, once, you know, all of the people could be evaluated, that allowed a lot of the higher dose people to be included in the data set and you know that's what according to biogen caused the swing in one of two studies towards efficacy and efficacy was being measured on uh, basically the the ability to i guess we'll call, we'll call it reduce the pace of 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 the of the advance of this disease. So, you know, it's still, it's not a far from a cure, right? Shannon, we're not talking right. about a cure. What we're talking about is slowing disease progression in Alzheimer's disease p- progression and measuring that on a, you know, test of your cognitive ability, if you will. And so, you know, what, what what they found is that when they went back and they looked at the entire data set that you did, you could see like a, tw- I think it was like about up to a 20% Uh, improvement versus placebo in one of two studies. Now, you could argue the second study that didn't show that same sort of efficacy had more low-dose patients in it. So, maybe that was why. I mean, that's what they're going to argue to the FDA. Um, But you know what's really interesting about this, I think a lot of people, probably they, they leapt back to the stock. The stock went up at one point during the day. It was up more than forty percent, I believe, um, which is just amazing for a fifty billion dollar stock. You know, it's just crazy to think of, of the how big of a swing that is. I think one of the things investors are trying to figure out now is, okay, well, you know, uh, you know, does this is this data good enough to get approval, and and that's where we sit today. Is is okay? We, we know now it's resurrected from the dead, right? We know, we know now that it, it may help. Some people with very mild forms. I mean, there's a whole theory out there that okay. Initially, the theory was if we get rid of all of these buildups of the plaque on these neurons, we improve brain signaling. That's going to help. Now they're starting to think, well, maybe it's not. That when you get that advanced, it's not going to do much. Uh, but maybe if you use it in mild and very early, very very early um, patients, maybe maybe that's a benefit. But I think there are enough question marks here for investors going forward to just, to stay on the sidelines until at least December, Shannon, when we're going to get the full data set probably at a conference.
0: Exactly. That'll be the clinical trials on Alzheimer's disease or CTAD meeting in December. And I mean, this you really can't understate um, from a patient perspective, just How big of a deal this is, but also for Biogen's perspective, you're looking at potentially three to four billion in peak annual sales. And, of course, there have been a lot of question marks about where Biogen's next growth lever is going to come from. So, naturally, all eyes will be on that December meeting to take a look at the data. Um, but basically, Biogen is saying that we met with some external advisors. They Even said so they talked with the FDA. And they think that they've got the basis of a BLA, a biologics license application. To go ahead and file for approval in early 2020 um, and also talk with regulators in Japan and Europe. And that'll be including that phase one and 1B trial plus data from that phase three trial that you mentioned. But yeah, the question mark are going to be let's talk about both phase three trials. Um, I've also seen some comparisons. With this Hail Mary pass at Biogenist Lorraine right now to Sarepta, um, who was attempting to get their DMD drug approved, also on some very controversial data, um, they, of course, were able to success- successfully get approved um, after a very contentious advisory committee meeting. I expect this to be the same for Biogen, although I don't necessarily hear or see a lot of the same patient support that went into Sarepta's decision, but no less, it's going to be um, a very, very contentious uh, FDA and eventual advisory committee meeting. Um, I think if you're a Biogen shareholder right now, you're betting that the FDA will be lenient um, more than anything else right now, And because this is a huge unmet need, they're going to sway toward, you know what, we really don't have anything. There's some signal here. This is at least approvable. But to me, that's a huge risk and a huge bet that I don't know that most shareholders would want to take. um, Or if you're just sitting on the sidelines wondering if you should get into Biogen. To your point, Todd, I think it's worth sitting on the sidelines waiting for more data to come at least until December.
1: Yeah, it's not like Biogen is, is the cheapest stock in biotech. I guess I'd probably give that to Gilead. Uh, and they, and oh, Gilead fair enough, case. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they pay a dividend, and Biogen doesn't. I mean, but you're talking about a company who's re- been heavily reliant for a long time in multiple sclerosis, a very competitive field. Uh, as a result of of how competitive that is, you know, sales are they're growing, but they're not growing very quickly. I think we saw 4.7% year-over-year sales growth last quarter. EPS is growing a little bit faster because of you know, they're, they're buying back shares and stuff. I think the shares outstanding have fallen fairly significantly over the course of the last few years. Um, and, you know, theoretically, that's good and supports prices. But, I mean, when you're talking about a company that is trying to pivot the way Biogen is uh, to diversify into these really, really hard to address targets, you know, be it something like Parkinson's or ALS or... or, or, or Alzheimer's where the failure is really high um, and not really having the, the same kind of growth maybe you had 10 years ago for multiple sclerosis. I don't I think some caution is a little bit warranted here, especially after that big move. Let's see how this plays out. Let's see how the data goes. Let's see how the adcom meeting goes and see you know whether or not people are as, as willing and receptive to this as possible. I mean, we shouldn't downplay it too much. I mean, if it does help people, uh, and it does help delay it in people. I mean, that's that's huge quality of life advantage uh, and certainly could make this a blockbuster drug. I just feel like we need to see a little bit more Uh, information before we can say, yeah, this stock is going to go up another 30% uh, from where it already is today.
0: Exactly. So a lot to watch in 2020. Um, I can guarantee you this will be the number one story heading into next year. Um, But for now, we are going to switch gears, talk about some other big news, this time coming from Walgreens. But first, a quick word from our friends at Cabbage. Managing inventory covering payroll and doing a hundred other things before lunch is just an average day when you own a small business. Your time is valuable and getting the money you need shouldn't take up all of it. That's why Cabbage created a simple, modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. Cabbage's application process is online and takes just a few minutes to complete to get a decision. If your business qualifies, you can access the amount you need right away and withdraw more funds whenever you need extra capital. Cabbage has an a rating with the Better Business Bureau and has provided over 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. As someone who has watched a close family member build a business from the ground up, I can attest having access to funds... To even start, let alone scale, is one of the biggest hurdles a small business can face. But you can get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to Cabbage.com to get started. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic Bank, member FDIC. All right, in other news, one of the two major pharmacy retailers is laying to rest some of its retail healthcare clinic plans, and that's news coming out of Walgreens, and that is ticker symbol WBA. Um, Todd. Taking a step back here, we've talked a lot on industry focus about how healthcare and affordable access to healthcare is just such a huge tailwind for so many companies. I mean, if anything, having your friendly neighborhood retail clinic was supposed to help offset some of the healthcare costs too. Todd, can you just help us make sense of Walgreens' decision to basically step back away from this healthcare clinic model?
1: This is a very, uh, it, on the surface, surprising decision by Walgreens, because for the last 10 years, pharmacies have been telling us, no, we want to become more of a one-stop shop for your healthcare needs, not just providing you with pharmacy and over-the-counter uh, drugs, but also being able to have you come in and and get your flu shots and evaluate you if you've got a cold or if you have something very minor you'd like to talk to us about so that you're driving more foot tra- traffic and, and theoretically more sales to the store i think what we saw with walgreens is is two things we saw that walgreens you know put a, put a bunch of money in they opened up i think it was about 400 or so of these retail clinics within their stores to be able to help out people in a pinch so they didn't have to wait in their primary care offices. I think what they found is that, you know what, we need to have X number of patients walking in the door every day to really justify the costs associated with setting this up. But there's also a tremendous amount of administrative burden that falls on these clinics. Because of course, you know, we it's very hard if you you need to have these each patient have these medical records these medical records have to be kept very uh, you know organized and kept within these systems and we've talked in the past about you know, there's a, mo- there's a few different systems out there, but they're all very pricey, one of them being Epic. And Walgreens had their own system in place. Uh, CVS, a competitor, actually went with, I believe, Epic and, and is doing it that way. But I think, again, all those administrative burdens, not just, okay, I'm going to carve out part of my store and set up a clinic that isn't going to have product on shelves necessarily, but just basically the product is, is that service. Um, and, and the costs that are associated with that, but also these other costs behind the scenes. And one of the things that's interesting about this is that, okay, well, yes, they have 350 to 400 of these clinics out there. They're closing 200. The ones they're not closing are the ones that they're doing in partnership with healthcare systems. So, there are some healthcare provider networks out there that have gone to Walgreens and said, you know what, we will lease a little bit of space within your stores. And we will handle all the administrative uh, stuff that you don't want to. And you will still get the benefit of that foot traffic. And it seems like that's kind of the model when you dig in a little bit deeper that Walgreens may focus on more from here rather than, okay, we're going to be the soup to nuts provider of this, this, these, you know. Kind of services. Instead, we're going to facilitate them through these lease arrangements or these partnerships, if you will, and we'll still get the best of both worlds as far as the foot traffic in the store.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, just watching Walgreens and CVS, um, these are two companies who I think have been really trying to find their place and just gain secure footing with so many headwinds coming their way. Of course, for Walgreens, they've been going through this really global transformation cost management program. So to your point, Todd, I think when you do start to peel back the layers, you can see where it starts to make sense for them to cut back on cost. But I mean, both of these companies, Walgreens with its more, I guess, pure play, convenience distribution strategy versus CVS, who really is trying to become a Vertically integrated one stop healthcare shop with, you know, being a retailer, a pharmacy benefit manager, and a sure insurer with its Aetna acquisition. You see the the divergence of strategies here. Um, And I really can't blame Walgreens for doing this, especially right now when you've got competition concerns from other players like Amazon. Of course, they acquired PillPack. Um, So you've got some headwinds for really the pharmacy, which has been driving a lot of the growth for these companies. But you've also got concerns about generic drugs. You've got reimbursement cost concerns. I mean, there's just, and even I think for Walgreens, international operations has had some question marks. So it does not surprise me, but Todd, it also sounds like, you know, you've got the healthcare clinics for Walgreens, but they've also got other things that they're doing in the healthcare space. So they're not completely abandoning it by any means, but they're also trying out some other things too, right?
1: Yeah. Matter of fact, they're going to, they're going to take a in um, 100 stores, they're going to open up these Jenny Craig weight centers, uh, where so they'll be offering personal health and weight loss management services within within those stores to kind of see whether or not that has some stickiness and, and builds some traction with with um, with their customers. You know, there's all they've also got other things going on too. And you know, you're reading about this all throughout retail. People expand. I saw I read, read a good story about Walmart how they're they're putting in dentistry. I think you got some dentistry going into some of these. Uh, retail pharmacy companies are starting to do that as well so you're you're having all sorts of other things they're doing a labs they have a, uh, a relationship with a labs a service um, you're seeing some of these re- uh, retailers in their pharmacies doing basic things for chronic disease management like even doing blood draws so I don't think they' sh- I don't think they're giving up, if you will on <clears throat> the idea of being able to provide more services to customers I think they're just trying to figure out what the right balance is as far as what services are people most in desire and would most use that that makes sense for us to take away this, this other square footage that could be used for something. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You mentioned CVS and you mentioned that relationship with Aetna. That is a difference too. You know, I mean, we can't deny that, right? I mean, with the combination of CVS and Aetna, now you've got all of these Aetna patients that theoretically CVS could take these clinics and help prevent readmissions for these people who have chronic diseases that are insured and save money um, on that side of the business. So it's not just about their actual physical retail location for CVS anymore. It's also about these other parts of its business where there could be nice overlap and, and quote, unquote, we hate the word, right? Synergies.
0: <laughs> That's right. Um, and I'm going to give a quick uh, shout out to Jason Moser um, here at The full. I also have to have to say this, I think some of what you're seeing happening with Walgreens moving away from these very basic clinics also has to do with the rise in telemedicine. We've talked a lot about Teladoc, ticker symbol T-D-O-C. That's one of Jason's uh, favorite stocks um, and one he talks about quite a bit. But I mean, when you think about it from a consumer perspective, you're looking for your basic services to come, of course, at a much lower cost, but also a convenience factor. And so I think, you know, it's not just Amazon, as I've read a lot of headlines allude to, it's also telemedicine. So you've got to see companies like Walgreens and CVS really adapt and fit their strategies to where consumer behavior is going, and then also still try to grow at the same time. And I think this move does make sense once you start to really peel back the layers.
1: Yeah, telemedicine is is a threat but it's it's not as much of a threat yet because they need to. Okay, so, if, so let's say that I get. Uh, you know, I've got the flu. I don't want to drag my kid to a clinic any more than I do to the primary care. Right. The ideal situation is I just call on my smartphone and I talk to somebody who says yes, you have the flu. But if they're going to prescribe something, you would still then need to go to the Walgreens or the CVS and get that filled, unless of course they get to a point where yes, a drone from Walgreens <laughs> drops off the prescription in front of your house. Which you know, I think absolutely we could see in in our lifetimes right shannon uh, the other competitive thing to consider there is that it's not just that these retail clinics, when they started doing these retail clinics way back in 2007, 2008, you, there really weren't that many urgent cares and outpatient centers, at least not around me. Now, I, I, every block I turn, there's there's a, an option. You know, you've know, you got hospital systems now that have realized that they can put in urgent cares centers emergent care centers and emergency care centers. If you have doctors groups banding together to create their own in certain areas so I think yeah there's so you've got multiple things there you've got the number of these other outpatient options uh, has increased substantially and and looking forward you see this this big threat from telemedicine also coming down the pike so you know let's see where let's do things like blood draws and lab work where it's you know, not likely to be served by telemedicine, at least anytime soon.
0: Exactly. So, a lot to watch in the retail pharmacy space. Of course, we'll keep all of our listeners and viewers up to date, but as for Todd and I, that'll do it for today's Halloween edition of Industry Focus Healthcare. We want to thank you so much for tuning in. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you here. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Todd Campbell, I'm Shannon Jones. Thanks for listening and full on.